You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp, joined here today by Blake Alderman. We're back to talk a little Florida football. Blake, I guess real quick, uh, we'll talk about Florida basketball because another disappointing loss for Florida in the the regular season against Tennessee. Obviously, they were without Trey Mann, but you know we've talked about it a million times on this podcast. It just feels like under Mike White, Florida just cannot really finish a season strong. And once again, it feels a little bit like the Gators are going to go into March Madness limping a little bit. Of course, the SEC tournament coming up. We'll see what happens there. Um, but more of an up and down ride for this basketball team. I feel like it's been the same ride forever. And I don't know. I feel like some people are wanting to get off of it, but the ride is just still going and it's still up and down. Um, you know, the, I guess the, the, the solid side to look at things is the SEC tournaments upcoming. It does seem like it's a little bit of a more wide open SEC tournament, just from top to bottom looking things. I mean, I, I even just kind of scan the seeds and, you know, seeing Kentucky as an eight seed is kind of weird. I don't know. You know, obviously they're, they're a team that has their ups and downs, but seeing them where they were there and just the way the layout of the tournament is, um, you know, Florida gets that first, I guess, well, first round is just one game. So they get that first round by to figure out who their next opponent is. You know, I guess the, the another positive there is that Florida's going to be playing one of the worst teams in the SEC tournament, one of the two, whoever they are, in that second round. So um, it, it'll kind of let them, I guess, ease into that SEC tournament, ease into the postseason, looking ahead to the NCAA tournament. So this is the time where they need to shake off these two losses and you need to hope that, you know, this, this ride isn't going down anymore and it's, and it's going to be on the up for them. Maybe it's a good thing to get those losses out of the way before the postseason begins, you know, get a couple out sure. of the way. Maybe you can make it, you know, a couple rounds in the NCAA tournament. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't have a, a lot of confidence in this team at this point. I think I think a lot of fans are feeling similarly. You know, this is year six, and it seems like, you know, obviously that, you know, Florida has had a lot to deal with this year with Keontae Johnson being out, Castle right. being in and out of the lineup a little bit with that ankle, Trey Mann being, you know, having, having migraines last game. But – me it's just there's there's not enough consistency for me for me to really buy into florida making a deep run but that's all that's fine because we got spring football going on early this year so blake let's talk about some spring football i went in i went ahead and asked uh kind of some of our subscribers at swamp 24 7 to submit us some questions to answer on the podcast and uh florida has had their first scrimmage of the spring now so we'll obviously talk about that a good bit but i think you know by answering some of the the questions that fans have i think we can kind of uh, build a discussion around that. So let's let's go ahead and get right into it. The first question we have is from UF Xander, and it's, do we think DeMarcus Bowman sees the field much in 2021, or will the staff continue to ride seniority over talent? And I'll go ahead and toss that one to you real quick. I mean, I'm sure that they'll see him. You know, I think whenever you have a talent like him, and, um, you know, I know he's been missing from just the z- – the Instagram live videos that we have seen of practice. You haven't seen him in there like you did in the first couple of those. He's still a five-star talent. He's still an elite talent. He still does a lot of different things that I think the backs collectively can't do. And I think it's just the strength that he runs the ball, that second gear he has. Um, 
you know, it's a crowded room. I think everyone knows that by now with just the guys that have been there and have continued to do different things as well. But I just think when you have a guy that's as talented as that and a guy who's coming in as a transfer, you know, those guys are coming in to make an impact. Florida wouldn't take a transfer like that. I know Dan Mullen's philosophy through the transfer portal is to add guys that are going to make an impact, you know, sooner than later, more than likely. That's, that's the hopeful idea with them when they go through the transfer portal. So, you know, I don't know how much we see him. I think that Ideally, you want to try to get him involved as involved as much as you can. But you know, it is a deep room. Um, but I, I would expect to see him for sure. I think so too. You know, we talked about it. You hit it on a little bit. You know, he hasn't been out at practice the last few days. It, from what we've been able to gather, it sounds like he's dealing with a minor knee injury. I did ask Dan Mullen about that during his press conference today, and um, he's kind of sticking with the line that they're not going to discuss injuries. So being very tight-lipped on that. And unfortunately, though, if if you are looking for Demarcus Bowman to make an impact. These are valuable practices where now he's not getting some sure. reps that, that could really go a long way towards at least getting the coaches thinking about, hey, I know that we have Damian Pierce and I know we have Malik Davis and Naquan Wright, but Demarcus Bowman's a guy that maybe offers a little bit more upside from those guys. You know, it, it's hard for coaches when they don't know, you know what I mean? And, and spring sure. offers a, a chance to find that out. And unfortunately for him right now, it, it sounds like he's been missing a, a couple of days. So let's get to the next question, Blake. Uh, how, how do we see the front seven on defense shaping up? And are the young linebackers in a position to make an impact in terms of progression and how reliant Florida is going to be on the interior of the defensive line transfers? Um, I'll go ahead and start on that one. I think, Blake, we talked about it a lot last offseason, uh, how excited that Florida was, how, how geeked out Christian Robinson was to have a guy like Mahmoud Diabate in his linebacker room just because of the versatility that he brings to the position and the athleticism, you know, obviously he's got a, a significant history as a pass rusher, kind of played that role in high school. And then, you know, in his freshman year with Florida, we saw him have an impact as a pass rusher. So Florida was really, really excited about Diabate last year going into the offseason. I think in a lot of ways they kind of built the defense around that identity of trying to be versatile. And, and we've talked about how it maybe backfired on them in a little bit with just the loss of spring ball. But I look at that defense and you talk about the front seven. Diabate is a guy that I've got circled as a guy that can make a major jump. He's got an extremely high football IQ. We talked about the athleticism, the range that he can maybe add to linebacker where we he didn't really have that a whole lot last year. You know, Amari Bernie struggled a little bit. Ventrell Miller a little bit limited athletically. But Blake, I look at Diabate and say that's a guy that if he takes the next step, you can really start to build the rest of that front seven on defense around him. I agree. And, you know, I even think that, you know, obviously there are some notes on Swamp 24-7 on the message board of just kind of some insider notes of, of the, the first scrimmage that Florida had. Tyron Hopper was a guy that really got a lot of praise from those notes. And Derek Wingo was another guy, too, that we've heard that had, had, a, had a quite a showing in that, too. So, I mean, there are young linebackers that even last year that we had mentioned that it's, it's probably time to throw them in there and get them in the fire. And it's encouraging to see that even past those guys at all that you've named, that Florida still has some other guys that are still making plays in those scrimmages. Sure, you can't put a lot of water into the cup of one spring scrimmage, but Tyron Hopper is one of those guys that he's physical, he's athletic. So there's a lot to like about what he brings for that linebacker room. And even just the front seven collectively, whenever you've got guys like uh, Daquan Newkirk, uh, you've got Antonio Shelton, who's come in from Penn, uh, Penn State, and, and Newkirk coming from Auburn. Florida had, you know, Jervon Dexter last year who played pretty well for being a freshman in the SEC, and yeah. that's not an easy task to ask someone as a freshman. Dude, regardless of how gigantic he is with his size and his weight, 
But now you've got those guys in there, those, those uh, graduate trained for guys that are going to come in and they're just going to, they, they've got size, you know, and I felt like last year when Florida was, was missing some of their guys up front, you just didn't see the size, you didn't see the push. And that just kind of trickled down all the way through to guys getting pushed out of the way, uh, you know, just gaps being opened up for the opposing offenses, which kind of got pushed back into those linebacker guys. So I think overall with Florida having some more size up front, Overall, we'll see how – I mean, it's hard to gamble on a, on a one-year graduate transfer. Are they going to make a big impact? So far, it seems like they've really bought into the program. They've really come in. Um, they are they're got their nose to the ground that they're really trying to work hard. So I think that adding that size there is going to help just that whole unit overall. It's going to help get guys like Zachary Carter in that strong side five de- uh, defensive end position where he had to move around last year. You've got Brenton Cox who's going to have a, a, a spring football season at Florida under his belt. Um, you know, as, as a scholarship player to just continue to fine tune things. So I just think adding those guys in there, having them get the spring football, you know, season, even if there's not a spring game, I think overall, I think the front seven should take a front, a, a step forward, I, I should say. Yeah, I think absolutely. And I think the reports we're hearing so far, and I'll kind of tie this into the next question about how the O-line is going to play next fall. I think right now what we're seeing is that the defensive line is significantly ahead of the offensive line. And I think you'd expect that. I mean, you talk about, like you said, the, the experience of guys like Shelton and Newkirk coming in, guys that have played big-time Power 5 football, those guys are probably going to be ahead of guys that right now on the O-line are kind of shifting around to some different positions. And I think if you look at Florida's defense, I, you know, I, I talked about Diabate, you know, maybe having some real potential in that front seven. You've got some real veteran leadership up front along the defensive line. And I think that was something that was really, really lacking, especially when Kyrie Campbell was gone. I think that Florida's gone out and added two really, really solid pieces in Newkirk and Shelton. And I think right now what we're seeing in spring, or not not seeing, but at least we're hearing from people that we trust, is that the D-line is ahead right now. I mean, they're, they're kind of taking the offense to task a little bit. But, Blake, let's talk a little bit about the O-line because we do know that's obviously a place that Florida has got to get better. But we're right. seeing some new things in terms of lineups this, this spring, and I think Florida's experimenting quite a bit. Right now, for, for fans that don't know, Stuart Reese has actually slid inside to center, and they're training him pretty extensively there. Now, Florida did say, I believe it was Dan Mullen said, that they are going to shift. Actually, I think it was John Hevesy said. They're going to shift Reese maybe back towards guard a little bit more for the second half of spring and get Ethan White's feet wet again there. So they're trying some different options on the O-line. I do think, Blake, one thing that stands out to me when you look at this unit, and I don't know how it'll, it'll pan out in terms of production or things like that, they're very big on the interior of the O-line. Definitely. And I think that whenever you look at just the <clears> – <throat> even from recruiting, John Hevesy has done a pretty solid job of adding some guys at that interior part of the offensive line. You know, center, guard, tackle is where I think that you've seen some struggles there. And, you know, even just having a guy like John DeLance back, you've got Richard Garage. Those are guys that at this point you feel pretty confident that they're going to be in there in the offensive line. Can guys move around? Can things be experimented more in the spring? Sure. But I think where you look at that size that Florida's got in the interior part where you've just, I mean, you've seen it in games, you know, even a, a guy like Joshua Braun, you know, just watching them last year, getting some of those pulling guard spots, kind of open things up and move things around. I mean, there was a lot of potential there. So I think that those guys, it's interesting having Stuart Reese at the center position, because I thought that there's times last year, he just looked a little sluggish doing some of those pulling moves, just different blocks, just getting in space. So Putting him at center, I think it's it could be a little bit more ideal for Florida because I do think whenever you watch some of the tape last year from Ethan White, you know the the games that he was able to play when he came back from that injury, he was a lot better, I think, pulling and getting in space. So I think it's interesting that Stuart Reese is that guy at that center position. 
No, it is. And not that Florida won't ever pull the center. They've sure. done it some and, they, and they've pulled Brett Heggie. But I think you can build around not using that as part of the offense if you have a guy that you know is a little less mobile. Right. And Dan um, Mullen's done a good job of, of fine-tuning things to make sure that, you know, let's not do this because it's going to help us with that. So I think that that's something ideally. And, and you know, they like we said before, I mean, they move a lot of those centers around. They try different guys out. You even got Kingsley. I'm going to butcher his name. Sorry, Kingsley. Kingsley Gekuan, who's in there too. So Florida's got some centers they can continue to try out still. No, and I, and I think we talked about it on one of the previous episodes of the podcast. I think Florida's ideal scenario is where guys like Kingsley start to really push for a starting spot because I think if he's good enough to do that, that gives you the flexibility to then say, hey, who do we want where? Can we move Josh Braun to the outside at a tackle spot? And Blake, one of our, our next questions is, is there any chance that Michael Tarquin beats out Jean DeLance for that offensive tackle spot? So far in spring, again, keeping in mind it's very early, doesn't sound like that's really a push that's happening. And I think, again, going back to what needs to happen for the O-line this spring, I think guys like Tarquin who are going into their third year do have to start to take that next step. First scrimmage, they've still got two more. They're only not even halfway through spring ball. So I don't think it's – I think it's too early to panic on that. But so far the news has been a little underwhelming. And, again, I go back to – to some, to some degree, I don't know that that means that Florida fans need to panic because this group will get better, and Dan Mullen has been very uh, explicit about they're, they're trying things this spring that they, they fully expect some of them are going to get thrown out. And so there is a lot of experimenting going on. You look at that defensive line, they should be ahead from an experience standpoint, from a physical standpoint. So you've got plenty of time to grow, um, but I do think, you know, I, I think Florida's trying a lot of different combinations this spring to try to figure out what might work best. So. And that's probably good just because a lot of the things, I mean, they, they've got some pieces and not having the spring last year, I don't think that they really totally knew what are those, knew which one of those younger guys they could count on. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, I just think it's that time where you have to just see how they, how they, how they mesh with different parts, different pieces. Um, but, you know, I, like you said, you know, it doesn't sound like Michael Tarquin is at that point at this point in the spring to be pushing John DeLance for a starting spot. All right, Blake, let's take another question. Uh, how are the wide receivers looking so far? And do we think Jacob Copeland has a productive year in the slot? I know that you and I have talked about this a little bit. I don't think we expect Copeland to be in the slot next year. I don't. I just, I mean, sure, they can move him around because they do that. I mean, it's a very mismatchy type of offense to where they'll put guys in positions to be successful. But I think he's going to be have the most impact. I think he's going to be used the most out wide. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. I think the guy that we've really seen in the slot so far this spring it's Trent Woodmore, right. and from what I've heard, he's had a pretty solid spring. I mean, haven't heard anything, you know, that jumps out off the page. Uh, I do think one of the receivers that's really stood out early on, there's actually a couple of young guys, um, not specifically a receiver, but tight end Nick Elksness has looked very good. We wrote about him in the last day or two. He's been a guy that apparently has been just really, really tough to tackle. Uh, but then freshman receiver. Should have made him a four-star. Should have made him a four-star, 24-7. What are we doing? Um <laughs> But, no, I think Dejon Reynolds-Blake is another guy that we've talked about being a big physical guy. Maybe not the, the, you know, the burner-type speed that Xavier Henderson has, but he's a guy that stood out. I think overall, you know, seeing early in the spring, I think Emory Jones' ability to kind of break things loose with his feet has allowed those guys to get open a little bit more, and we kind of expected that. But I think overall, I've been pretty pleased with what I've heard of the wide receiver group so far. 
Yeah, definitely. I think Jamarcus, uh, like you said, Jamarcus Weston, I think wasn't that who Dan Mullen pointed out as being the fastest guy on the team? I thought that was interesting because I would have thought Xavier Henderson just because he's you know got that track speed. and it, it, I mean, he's freaky with the speed he has with that size. So I know that Jamarcus Weston, just from seeing him as a recruit, had a lot of different intangibles. I mean, he had the speed, he had the size, but he was just really raw. I mean, he didn't play on a great team that was – you know, going out and winning state championships or making, you know, deep playoff runs. So I think that he's an interesting guy because he's paired with Billy Gonzalez, who has done a great job of developing guys. And he's getting that, even on the recruiting trail, he's getting that kind of, you know, tag behind him of being a developer. So I'm interested to see if Weston, you know, just, uh, you know what he can do this year from getting that spring and just getting so much extra teaching from Coach Gonzalez. So I think, I thought that was interesting when Mullen did say that. Speaking of development, that plays nicely into our next question here, and this is going to be a fun one for the fans. Is John Hevesy really that good of an offensive line coach to make up for his poor recruiting? I'm not exactly seeing it. Seems like hit or miss reports so far from spring practice. First off, Lake, let's let's pick that question apart a little bit because I think it's important to determine whether or not we think he's a poor recruiter. And I would say, I would say O-line's a really, really tough position to evaluate. I would say from my standpoint, I think in terms of guys that they go after and try to land, they could probably do a little better. But I, I, think, in, I think the bigger issue is that for fans, they're, they're seeing Florida go after some guys that they would consider questionable takes. Go back to Ethan White. You know, a lot of Florida recruit Knicks were upset with the Ethan White take. And turns out, again, limited sample size so far, but it seems like he was one of their better pickups from that class so it's kind of it's kind of how do you define poor recruiter is it lack of ability to sell or is it you don't like their evaluations I think for Hevesy more so than some of the other assistants that we've dogged on in the past for their recruiting I think Hevesy does a pretty good job of getting the guys that he wants more so than some of the other guys the question is is he getting guys that have a talented enough or are talented enough have a high enough ceiling to really make that o-line work and Blake for me at least I think this is a year where we start to figure that out because it is going to be a lot of Hevesy's guys that are in there. You know, if, if you like to the point we've made, if you're not seeing those third year guys in the program who have had the chance to develop under a guy who we think is a pretty good developer of talent, then you're doing something wrong. Some part of the equation is broken. Right. So I think we're going to find that out this year, but I do also look back, you know, John Hevesy has a track record. I mean, look at what he did at Mississippi state. They consistently had lines that were physical enough to compete. You know, I know they never beat Alabama, but they, they were really competitive in some of those games. They, they were a good enough, physical enough offensive line that they cranked out some really good running backs, some, some quarterbacks that could really get the job done. And I, I think that's enough of a track record for me to be cautious on saying, you know, one thing is not good enough. I, I understand it's maybe not quite what fans want, but I lean on the side of, of giving Hevesy the benefit of the doubt on that one. I agree with everything you said. I think even from a recruiting standpoint, getting some of those true offensive tackles, not a guy that is he a guard, is he a tackle, you could throw him at different places because I think Hevesy has landed some guys that are maybe some swing type of guys. You know, they can play some guard. You know, Isaiah Walker was the one guy that really looked like a bona fide true left tackle. And obviously he's not in the program anymore. He's transferred and he's, he's gone to Miami. So whenever you take him out of the equation, you look at a lot of those other guys, you've got some interior type of guys, whether it's a guard or a center, or you just, you don't have that 
true bona fide, you know, can be a left tackle type of guy. And then, you know, you have Richard Garage, who was, you know, inherited from, you know, the former coaching staff. So, I mean, yes, he's the left tackle for Florida. Yes, he's been coached by Hevesy since he's been there, but not a guy that, you know, sure they held on to him, but wasn't a guy that they went out and evaluated and recruited from, you know, start to finish that they landed. So I think from a recruiting standpoint, and I think this year you're seeing more of a focus on some of those true left tackles just because you've got a guy like Jean Delance who's on his way out with his final year of eligibility. Richard Garage, I believe, has two more years to play, right? Yeah. But, I mean, you, we'll see how that goes because you never know how a season could go. So, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, sure, Michael Tarquin is a guy that, you know, will play tackle for Florida. Josh Braun is one of those guys that I think can play tackle, but he's another one of those swing guys. So, I think going out this year and getting some of those true offensive linemen that are, excuse me, true offensive tackles that can play left tackle, that have that body, you know, the length, just the way their frames put together, I think that that's where he could do a better job at. Because I do think he's done a good job of getting some of those interior guys. And I do get the gripe of, you know, a guy like an Ethan White, who whenever you look through him into the process and you're seeing a guy ranked in the thousands, fans are just, you know, losing their mind for that. And, you know, to some extent, he needs to get up there and he needs to get some more elite guys, you know, sure. You know, does it, is it easier to coach up a guy in the top two, four, seven, as opposed to maybe a mid lower three-star guy? Sure. You know, but I do think you have a good point too, where offensive line is a hard position to evaluate because you just see too many guys that are, you know, low rated guys that were, you know, through the recruiting process that turn out and, you know, you never know how a body could shape out. You never know how with some actual coaching, you know, I always make the joke that a lot of these guys are eating double cheeseburgers and whole pizzas, you know, in high school. Right. And now they're going to get into a program to where, you know, they're taking care of their body. They're doing better with strength training. So, you you never know how those guys are going to pan out. So I think that Hevesy is one of those guys that does trust his evaluations. Now we're going to start seeing more of his guys start to take that next step and get more snaps and get more playing time. So now I think that's where we'll gauge off of, you know, is he that developer? Because I do agree with you. I think that his track record shows that he is. And I think the other thing, when I think about Hevesy and the offensive line, if you go back through his history, and, and I know he wasn't the full offensive line coach uh, when Dan Mullen was at Florida previously, Steve Adazio was – but they had a very similar roster makeup. I mean, really, Marcus Gilbert was, a, I would say, a true tackle. Uh, but really, their, their offensive lines were built more around that interior trio. You know, the Pounceys, the Carl Johnsons, you know, big guys. And you'll hear John Hevesy say it, mass kicks ass. And they really, really, really try to go after those big dudes. And I think a lot of what they do is they do look a little bit, seems to me, for guys that are under the radar because they might be a little bit overweight but guys that move better than people expect, you know, when they, when they're out there doing a high school evaluation. And I think those are the guys that they try to trim up a la the Ethan whites saw it on the defensive side of the ball with a guy like Desmond Watson, you know, uh, and those are both really strong guys too, as well. I mean, they're, they're strong guys. I mean, yeah. Can they cut some weight? Sure. But they're all very strong. Even a guy like Desmond Watson, I yeah. thought he moved really well for his size too. And, and to me, part of that is their offensive recruiting philosophy. I mean, they want that interior power. And so when you want that, a lot of times you're, you're looking more at guys that probably have that more prototypical guard type body rather than tackle and whether or not they can make that work, you know, having enough true tackles, we'll see. I mean, obviously they've got some weaknesses right now in terms of the, the guys that are starting, but we'll figure it out. I mean, I, I think to me, I just go back to track record. I think John Hevesy has got a long enough track record that even though I'm not fully sold on the approach on the O-line, I'm willing to kind of let it play out a little bit more and, you know, if, if, if it ends up being that we're wrong, then Florida's going to have bigger issues. But I think, you know, that goes to kind of where we're at as the program goes into year four as a whole. I mean, that, that's not just a John Hevesy recruiting question to me. That's, that's broader for really the entire staff at this point. But, like, let's take a quick break. We've got a couple more questions to get to, but I want to take a quick break. 
and we'll be back right on the other side talking more spring football. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We're talking Florida football, answering some questions that subscribers have submitted about spring football. Blake, let's dive right back into it. Uh, we have a quick question I can answer here. Since spring practice was moved up, does that mean summer strength and conditioning can start earlier? If players are going to be sitting around doing nothing for two months after spring ends, you doesn't see the benefit of moving it up. Uh, yeah, I would expect that they'll get into their summer program a little bit earlier than normal. I, what I don't know is whether or not they will essentially extend that program for an extra couple of weeks. So typically strength and conditioning coordinators have a very, very well-defined plan that they do that is either somewhere between eight to 10 weeks worth of summer conditioning. And that, that's not to say they don't do summer strength and conditioning outside of that eight to 10 week window, but that's where the real bulk of it is. So I don't expect that that part would change, but I do think that Florida can start in the weight room a little bit earlier. And I think the bigger benefit that Dan Mullen has pointed out is that because they'll have these 15 practices of film from spring football, they now have an extra month where they can spend in meetings with players continually going over these things where they can, you know, have players do player run practices where they're doing walkthroughs, trying to fix some of these fundamental technique type issues. That's the real advantage. They've got more time to really kind of coach the players up from the film standpoint now that they've gone uh, basically a month earlier. Blake, I'll, I'll throw this question to you. Who does you see it? Who do you see as the starter at the star or the nickelback position? I think it's probably Trevez Johnson, just for myself, just seeing what he did last year. Um, you know, I think that if you trust a guy like that in a position that Mullen calls for, you have to be a unicorn type of guy to play it. And I think that whenever you're trustworthy, I guess is the word I'm looking for, because it wasn't something that was out the gate because obviously he's a freshman. But if you're going to trust a guy at a position that you hold in high regard like that to play as a freshman, I think that Trevez Johnson is the guy that sticks out to me to play that position. I think you're right. I think he'll be the starter there. I am really intrigued by Kamar Wilcoxon. And maybe, I am too. He was my next guy. Of, next I, guy. That I, I don't know what he looked like necessarily as a prospect, but from a physical standpoint and kind of how he moved on the field last year, I thought he looked pretty good. You know, he always, to me, had the body of a safety, but he has the long arms and he played press really well to where I could see him being a guy that could move around, play some of that corner position. But even during the recruiting cycle for him, Florida, Todd Grantham was his main recruiter because he handles a lot of the defensive guys at IMG Academy. So Grantham, whenever he was recruiting him out of high school, you know, he flipped around a couple times. He was t committed to Tennessee at one point. 
And whenever Florida was still talking to him when he was committed to Tennessee, they were telling him that, you know, we don't typically like to move guys from corner to safety. That's not to say that we won't do that, but typically we like to move guys from corner to star. We feel more trustworthy of doing that. And him having the length that he has, he's also very physical. You know, I think that that's another kind of a key thing you have to have to play that star position. You have to be physical. You can't be afraid of contact. So I think that that's why it jumped out to me for Trevez Johnson, because if you watch his senior film of high school, I mean, it is nothing but him just decleating people, just destroying other players. So I think that he jumps out more to me in that spot, but I, Kamar Wilcoxon was the second guy that I was thinking of as well, just because he does have that position versatility, also very physical, has maybe a little bit more length, I think, to his frame overall than what Trevez Johnson does. Trevez is a little bit more, I guess, kind of cock diesel, you know, if you want to call it a defensive back that, but he's a little bit more, you know, kind of bulldog frame, I guess. Um, so, you know, but I think that they're both really good options for Florida, and I think they bring different parts to their game. I do think that Kamar is maybe a little bit more athletic um, and has a little bit more ground to cover just because he does have that frame. But um, that's one guy that I think that is going to get a shot to play that spot because, you know, he just – didn't he, you know, he moved in the program, he reclassified from the 2021 class to the 2020 class, really didn't have, you know, a, a, a spring football season, all those things. So I think that he's one that's really going to be soaking up a lot of the coaching that he gets this year in spring. And I think the third guy that's working there is Jordan Young, who we've heard some positive things about. I another, can see that as well. Another guy that you look at him and was he a corner? Was he a safety? I don't think he has quite the speed top end that what you would like as a cornerback. Um, I think he's physical enough to where he could play that position, but I think that star is one that really, I, I think is a better suited spot for him. Okay. Let's do uh, another kind of quicker questions here. Strongest position group for you coming out of spring for each side that you think it will be. Ooh, strongest group. I have to give it to running back. I think, just think when you look at just top to bottom, I mean, it's, we're sitting here talking about a spot where we don't know who, you know, are, are these guys going to have enough, you know, balls for them to carry, you know, yeah. and make an impact for the team. I think that that's kind of the no brainer one on offense defense. I would have, if we're counting that rush position as part of, you know, the, the entire defensive line, I just think from top to bottom, I mean, you have Zachary Carter, you have the transfers, Javon Dexter, you have Brenton Cox in there, even some other guys that Florida has used at that rush position, even that guy. I mean, Chris Bo, I mean, I could sit, we could sit there and go on and on. I think Florida's defensive line is that, I mean, it's just a deep position. They're really talented. So I think that that's the one I would go to. And if, and if you hadn't landed those transfers, that would have been a problem. I think I probably would have went with linebacker otherwise, because I do think that linebacker position is one that I think that Florida has. I think they have a lot of really talented young guys. I think Tyron, Hopper I think Derek Wingo um, you just look at some of those other guys even I, I, Amari Burning I think is one that you know he did get some lumps last year um, you know Ventro Miller I think is a really talented player even though he is limited in some spots uh, Mumu Diabate um, just the fact that he I don't know man I like you mentioned earlier in the, in, in the podcast I mean man he just he's a guy that just does so many different things and I think that him continuing to get that spring you know moving from a, more of an edge rusher type to a I guess a true linebacker type and that's not even to say Dewan Black you know if, whenever he gets enrolled in the program I think that linebacker position is one that I think would be kind of the dark horse for me in that one I, that was the one that I was thinking about otherwise uh, for me linebacker right now is just too much riding on potential it and, is. and that's not it a is. bad thing that's not a bad thing because it gives you a lot of upside going forward. But I look at that D line and I see both experience and talent sure. and potential. It's I mean, just that one's easily yeah. the one you pick. But you know, yeah. I think that I don't know, man. I guess it's I guess a gamble type of pick. If I had to pick one, I, I think linebacker has a ton of potential. Yeah, we'll see. All right, next uh, question: Early and early freshman that you think will make a splash in the fall? Hmm. Early and early. 
let me pull them up actually while I'm thinking of it. I'm gonna your thing. I'll go while you're while you're waiting. I'm yeah, gonna, go I'm ahead. Gonna, I'm gonna I take the probably, easy route, and I'm gonna say Jason Marshall. See, that was what I was thinking, but I really wanted to give like an answer where I actually look and and try to think about it. I think because I, I think, would think Nick Elksness had the they not one. have some other guys. Are I mean, you have Kimori Gamble, you have uh, Keon Zipper. So I mean. That's the other guy for me, though. I think that that was probably the one that I would think of, but, uh, you know, they just have so many guys in front of him. So I would say probably – I think Jason Marshall is probably the one for me, too, just because when you look at Florida's cornerback position, they have a lot of those kind of younger guys themselves that didn't get a spring last year that are basically on the same playing field as Jason Marshall now in the spring. So mm-hmm. I think Jason Marshall is the one that I would pick. Dejon Reynolds, man, there's the reports from spring ball just from practices so far. He continues to seem like he's a guy that's really shining, and I know that Florida doesn't have a need for a guy like that to make an impact early, but I think with how physical he is, I think just the reports from spring football, I think that that would be one where I would I would probably throw in that same category as like a Nick Elksness. You know, do you need him? Yeah. Maybe not. Could he make an impact or at least somewhat of an impact? Probably. Yeah, I think you're right on that. Uh, the other guy, Blake, I would say is kind of like a dark horse. I know we're given like a million. We're given half the yeah. early enrollee class here as an answer. But Donovan McMillan, I think, is a guy that could be sneaky good. You know, Dan Mullen, we talked to him today. And he kind of raved about McMillan's football IQ. I guess he's the, the son of a coach and uh, just really has a really strong football IQ. And if you're talking about the issues that Florida had at safety last year, I think a lot of it was, you know, struggles in the playbook in terms of recognizing pattern recognition you know, in in terms of the pattern match coverage that they do. And I think when you talk about that for a safety to get on the field early, Florida obviously has the opportunity for that to happen this year. You know, we like trading, we like Rashad Torrance, but Florida likes to roll guys deep through there. And so if you get a freshman that can come in and pick things up quickly, you know, McMillan's definitely got some athletic ability too that I'd, I'd, I'd keep an eye on him. I think Desmond Watson is a dark horse too. I know that he's another guy in that class. He has to reshape his body, and I think him being there for an early enrollee. But if you can get a guy like that in like a goal line situation, you just don't have someone with that kind of size. And I don't think you're going to get a boatload of snaps from him. I think that first and foremost, he needs to just worry about you know continuing to reshape his body. You know, I wouldn't pick him, but I think that he's one that I could see if they can get some of those. You know, maybe. 10 snaps a game from him in those kind of goal line situations with just the way that some of the clips he's shown of how he moves at his size, if he can continue to reshape his body and kind of keep that athleticism. I just don't think Florida has a guy like that with that kind of size. So I think that, you know, like I said, I wouldn't pick him, but I think that he's one that I think is worth mentioning. You know, it's spring ball when we're, we're asked for one, one standout and we give you 18. (laughs) (laughs) I would pick Jason Marshall though, because I mean, he would be my guy that I would, I would say for sure. Definite need five-star prospect. I mean, that's, that's pretty much a slam dunk. Blake, uh, how much of a QB battle is there this spring, if any? I don't know, man. I, I mean, I would think that it's AR or excuse me, um, Emory Jones's position to lose. But just the reports from that first scrimmage sounded like you know that Emory did take a while to kind of get in tune. I think it was maybe in the second half of that scrimmage that they had to where he started to get his groove. Whereas Anthony Richardson had come in and you know he had that rushing touchdown, I believe, in the early in this part of the scrimmage. So. I think it is a battle. You know, I, I think that it's definitely Emory's to lose, but I think that whenever you have um, Anthony Richardson, who has the size, he has the athleticism, I think he has a little bit better of a polished arm maybe compared to Emory Jones. Um, maybe not as quick and fluid and, and have that, you know, ability to, you know, be gone in a minute if he tries to, you know, in a second, I mean, whenever he tries to take off and run with the ball. Um, but I do think that there is somewhat of a, of a quarterback battle. I, I, would, I would definitely think that. I'm not – 
quite as sure. I think if there's going to be a quarterback battle, I don't think we're going to see it until three weeks into the season, if that makes right. sense. I, I think it's sure. going to be I don't more... think it's going to be one to where, you know, we're sitting there with or on the depth. Well, right. they might be. I mean, it's, it's just <laughs> that's how it goes here. But, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't think it's one to where we don't know who the guy's going to be week one. So, I don't know if that I, – I mean, I, I think that there is a legitimate battle because I right now because I think that they're seeing what both guys can do because neither one of them have been the guy. I just think Emery's going to have to lose it on the sure. field in games. And for, for me, that makes it less of a battle and more of a kind of foregone conclusion going in. And again, it doesn't mean it ends up that way during the season. But uh, the other thing to note, I think that's interesting because you talked about Emery starting a little bit slow during the scrimmage from what we heard. Florida did take away the QB run. They took away a lot of QB run in the scrimmage. And so obviously that makes it a little bit tougher on Emery, you know, where he's really forced to be more of a, a disciplined passer and, not that he can't do that. I know a lot of people, you know, when we talk about being a dual threat, it, it, there's this automatic assumption that that means you can't work from the pocket. I think Emery. But you're can't a running do that. back that can throw, kind of. <laughs> exactly, and I, I think that's a disservice to Emery. You know, I, I've mentioned my questions about his accuracy. We'll see about that. Um, but I think not being able to run in the scrimmage probably had a little bit to do with it. And again, that's your O line, you know, your O line's behind at this point from the defensive line, so you're you're seeing more pressure. You're not able to take off as much without them blowing the whistle. Um, I, I'm not sweating Emery too much. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that he's going to be great next year, but I do think at this point it's probably his job to lose. I would agree. I do think it's his job to lose, but I think Anthony Richardson, I think is, you know, I, whenever you hear him talk in the press conferences that he has been able to do with players, it does sound like he's fully prepared on being QB two, you know, that he's just there to learn and soak things up. But I do think he's getting a shot to really see, can he press Emory? Can he, can he do those things to take that next step? And I think that that somewhat makes it a quarterback battle. But I do think that Emory Jones will be the starting quarterback when the season starts. And I, I totally agree with you as well on one of those things to where if, if it did happen to where they make a quarterback change, I think it would be a couple weeks into the season. All right, Blake, let's get to a couple more before we wrap up this episode of the podcast. Any updates on young players last year who might not have played a ton or at all that are impressing in Camp. that being like the Jahari Rogers, Avery Helm type guys. I'll start. I, I've heard very positive things about Avery Helm. I think he's, he's gotten a chance to run with the one summit practice. And again, that speaks to, you know, that, that cornerback competition being really pretty open at this point, opposite Kyir Elam. I think he's a guy you could watch out for um, off the top of my head. I haven't heard a whole lot about most of the other kind of second year guys. I think Jalen Lee's had a pretty positive spring so far. But outside of those two, there's not anyone that really jumps out at. I mean, past Hopper, who we mentioned, had a really Hopper. good, uh, a really good I scrimmage. Think, I think he's a third year guy. Uh, I think you're right. I think he was a 2020 guy. Oh, you got anything else on that? Not off the top of my head. I mean, I think you kind of mentioned those guys that you know that you had been hearing. All right, how are the transfer defensive tackles looking? I think uh, I think DeQuan Newkirk has pleasantly surprised <laughs> people in terms of his athleticism. He's really come in and, and flashed some some. Pretty impressive moves. I know he posted one clip on Twitter uh, of a spin move where he beat Ethan White, and it was just – I mean, it was quick. Um, and, you know, again, <laughs> D-line a little bit ahead of the O-line at this point. But I think that they've looked very good. And I think that the more important thing, Blake, is that those guys have brought exactly what the Gators were looking to add at that position, which is experience, kind of the knowledge of football that they can then share to the younger guys like, you know, Desmond Watson that we're talking about or Jervon Dexter. I think Dexter's going to be poised for a really big year. I mean – you look at his explosion in spring ball. I mean, he just looks – he looks like he's 
on a different level now than he was last fall. And that's before they've really gotten into the heart of the summer strength and conditioning program. I think he's going to be a guy that has a really big year. You know, and even talking to Keith Niebuhr from the Auburn side on 24-7, whenever Daquan Newkirk had announced that he was coming to Florida, I mean, he said that this was a guy that was a legitimate NFL player. He had had some injuries. I believe they were Achilles injuries that he's had. His last season that he had at Auburn was his best one he put to date, which, sure, that has to do with, you know, the obviously the injuries. But, I mean, there's talent there. So he's a guy that, you know, I always say whenever you're landing a kid, you know, whether it's a recruit or it's a transfer portal guy, if you have a guy that's trajectory seems to be up, you know, those are the kind of guys you want. And I think think Florida was really good to get him in there because I think he has the size to where he can kind of go in there and be a one or a zero, but I think he's athletic enough to play the three, which I don't think Antonio Shelton, I mean, if you had to, I think he could, but I think he's more of a nose tackle type guy. So I think he really pairs really well with Shelton. Yeah, I think they did an excellent job in the transfer portal. Like you said, I think they got two guys that not only do they complement each other, but I think they help that room considerably overall. All right, Blake, I'm going to, I'm going to toss you a hardball question here. Will, will we play more press man this year, and why was Florida so reluctant to do so last year? I'm not sure why last year. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'll let you defer that one to you, yes, but I have heard there is going to be a lot more press man, and I think that's where you have guys like Jules Montanar, you have Wesley McGriff. Those guys have, have – I mean, that's, that's something that they preach from their coaching just from kind of following. I mean, I know Jules doesn't have a, a really lengthy list of time coaching in the past, but, you know, I mean, Coach McGriff is a guy that's – I mean, he seems like a tough coach, He you know, not only coaches his guys hard, but he tries to coach them up to play hard on the field as well. So I think you're going to see a lot more press, man. At least that's what I've heard. It's what it kind of seems through practices from the little bit that we have seen. Um, so, you know, I, I think so. Why last year? No idea. I'm going to definitely let you take that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have an answer for that either. Uh, to your point, I think, I think Florida's shifting. I think the, the changes that Dan Mullen made in the secondary in terms of staffing, point to they felt like there was an issue with the secondary and the way they were playing last year. And, you know, even though we actually asked Dan Mullen about this today during his press conference and you pinpoint kind of what the issue was in the secondary, he said it wasn't one thing. So I take that to mean there, there were probably problems in how technique was being taught to some degree. And then I think just, I don't know that the zone coverage that Florida so frequently played either one fit the personnel to fit what the rest of the defense was trying to do. I do expect that to change. How much of a change will it be? I, I'm sure Florida's still going to run some zone concepts. They're not going to full abandon that. But I do think you're going to see probably more awareness of when situationally Florida needs to be in more of a press look as opposed to zone. So, Blake, uh, I'll, I'll toss one last question your way. Um, I'm not sure we got to all the questions today, but you know we try to keep the podcast to about 30 minutes so people can digest it easily. How is Florida handling recruiting with the dead period in place and no spring game? Uh, you know, I think that, you know, the spring game falls under when the dead period would be there anyway. So I think that, you know, it, it keeps the players away from, you know, fans and putting guys together there. I mean, if you're not having recruits there anyways, I mean, I, I, is it really, I mean, sure that spring game is, is a fun atmosphere for fans, but I think if you're not having recruits in there, I mean, I just, yeah, you know, and it's not the like best you get out. The best you get out of those, sure. The best you get out of that is just the practices. You know, the game is really just kind of a glorified jamboree type thing. You know, um, but you know, I think they're navigating through the dead period well. You know, I've said it before. I think that Florida does a lot better recruiting in person. I think they do a really good job of selling the campus in person, um, coaching up. You know, whether you come to a spring practice, you know, showing how they coach guys up, how they develop guys. I just feel like Florida in general has done a better job whenever they have those guys in person. 
And I think when you go back to that uh, junior day that they had last March before the dead period kicked in, there was just a lot of buzz coming off of that. You know, you have those guys on campus, like I said, you know, Dan Mullen, one thing that I've had recruits compliment to me before the dead period, whenever guys could really get a feel for that, was that he just always seems very happy to be at Florida. You know, that was just something that he always really sold well in person, you know, telling guys what they can do. I think that they're doing well to kind of stay – I guess, current with things, you know, doing those Zoom virtual visits to where they have guys come on there and see the campus. Because, you know, 2021 class, some of those guys had taken visits, whether they are in the 2020 year or the early part, or excuse me, in the 2019 year or that early part of the 2020 year, you know, before the dead period kicked in. So some of those guys, they got to take some of those visits. Um, 2022, I mean, I've had guys that tell me they've never even visited a campus ever. So I think that it's a different different feeling in this in the recruiting cycle at all because some of those guys last cycle had an idea of what to expect what to look for so I think that's why you saw a lot of those guys making decisions just really quickly you know and in clusters how they did last year this year I think guys genuinely don't really have a a solid feel for you know where they're going and I think it's harder to pick a school that you just haven't been to you just don't know a ton about other than what you've seen over the internet you know you may not know the coaches as good as you know you think you do because, sure, you talk to them, you do FaceTime calls, but it's just not the same thing as hanging out with them in person. So I think that Florida's doing a good job just kind of – I say treading water, but it, I know that comes off negatively, but I just think that's what you have to do right now while you're continuing to wait for the dead period there. You know, you're showing guys what, you know, what your campus has. You're doing Zoom calls with guys pulling up film, and not only does that get them acquainted with your defensive scheme or your offensive scheme, but that also lets you pick their brain to see, you know, how they can respond to coaching. And, you know, there are benefits through that. Coaches are doing FaceTime calls with kids instead of regular phone calls just because seeing a coach's face is a little bit, I guess, more personable than, you know, just doing a phone call where you have no idea who you're talking to or if it's, you know, like a catfish or a troll or something to that effect. Um, so I think Florida's doing a good job just kind of keeping – up with with just kind of waiting for this dead period to end when guys can come back on campus to when they can get back to doing what they do a really good job of and I think that even guys in general I was at the Miami Under Armour camp this past Sunday a lot of the guys down there I mean we're talking in South Florida where guys tend to make some pretty hasty decisions and that's not to say their decision timelines couldn't change but I had a lot of guys that were talking late fall you know maybe if not early signing day and sure that's pretty normal to have guys earlier in the process say that and that does change but I think guys are saying that now just because they truly haven't been able to visit a lot of campuses you know they're really truly waiting for the dead period to end you know sure you can take a quarantine visit but it's just not the same thing I've heard that so many times over the past Sunday from being there it's just not the same thing doing a self-guided tour as it is taking a regular unofficial visit so um you know, like I said, I think they're doing well to kind of keep things fresh in guys' minds, but I think that the dead period opening up is going to be really good for Florida. And, you know, sure, some fans are looking at the commitment list and are like, oh, you know, where are the commits at? Right. I think guys in general, I mean, you look at other schools. I mean, Miami, they have two commits. I mean, sure, there are some schools that are navigating through the dead period better. Um, I think that Florida's being a little bit, you know, waiting to where they can get to where their strengths are and that's getting those guys on campus and I, I do think some of that might be related to evals too you know it'll be easier once coaches are able to get back into eval mode sure you know, you know sure ohio state is you know i think they have 11 commits lsu has quite a few there i mean those are schools that i mean they played in national championships they've won national championships you know they played in the college football playoffs so i think that those schools are a little bit different beasts when you you know when you're comparing them to florida not to say that florida's not one of those blue blood programs not one of those programs that They're you know whenever you level, you're right? just it's just not quite the same and yes florida state has some commitments there um you know 
you got a guy like Sam McCall, the five-star, you know, just Travis Hunter, another five-star who he himself grew up, you know, rooting for Florida. Nigel Lee Kelly is another guy that I saw this past weekend down there. I mean, they've got some good commits there. Sure. You know, f- could they, you know, be solidly committed now? Absolutely. If Florida State stumbles this year, could that deter their thinking as being committed there? So I think that some schools are built differently when you look at the number of commits. I don't think Florida State is in that same category as the Ohio State's, the LSU's, like I mentioned. They're recruiting well, but, you know, game's got to be played. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty unprecedented in terms of recruiting and just things being shut down for so long. So I do think we'll have probably a little bit more volatile of of a finish to recruiting than maybe we have, maybe a little bit more excitement come early signing day that kind of thing that's because you're going to see secret visits come back and be a thing again and official visits and all those you know flip season type things so i i could definitely see that i'm looking forward to it i'm sure you are too (laughs) yeah i'm already losing sleep now thinking about it thanks i'm gonna have nightmares tonight (laughs) all right guys well that's gonna do it for today's episode of the podcast we appreciate you guys tuning in if you're liking the show beyond youtube be sure to like the video subscribe to the channel tell your friends about it we appreciate all the support we've got so far that'll do it till the next episode of the swamp 24 7 podcast Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.